There once was a homeless man who was homeless by choice. He could have found affordable housing, and he wasn't down on his luck. He was able-bodied, and he chose, actually, to be homeless. He chose to be homeless because he felt that that was the best way to live the life that he had been given to fulfill his calling. Although he was homeless, he did have a few friends who he really considered family and the places that he really felt at home. Some places where he could crash for good food and to do his laundry. He had one family in particular, a group of siblings, with whom he just really connected. He, um, it was a place where he could go and be accepted for who he was and just be loved. Especially for this man who had given up so much, his home, his family, his future, it meant everything to have friends like that. He was devastated then when one of his friends died after a brief illness. He got the news too late to say goodbye with no home address, no cell phone. Makes it kind of difficult to find someone. He ended up arriving four days after his friend had passed. They'd already buried him, put him in a cave, rolled a stone over it. His friend's sisters were hurt and frustrated by his tardiness. They were really dear friends. Why couldn't he have gotten there sooner? Why couldn't he be predictable and be able to be getting a hold of? After all, it might have made a difference. It might have made a difference because this homeless man is Jesus. And he had been known to perform and heal, and, and heal people for miracles. Yet he had not been there for his friends. And to make matters worse, in the tradition of the time, the soul hangs around for three days. But on the fourth day, one is considered truly dead. So Jesus arrived on the fourth day. And his dear friend, Lazarus, was entombed. Too late to do anything but grieve. Lazarus' sister Mary was angry with Jesus. You should have been here. She said through tears. Things might have turned out differently if you had been here. The other sister, Martha, always practical, was disappointed but pragmatic, dealing with the logistics of death. I think that the experience of Jesus' best friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, is a poignant description of what it feels like to be human and trying to trust Jesus. As Christians, we have our feelings of closeness and kinship with God. We have those mountaintop experiences, right? We have those, those experiences during worship and prayer and praise. And when we're out in the created world where we just know that we know that we are one of Jesus' best friends. And nothing can separate us from that. We have these blessings, and we are so grateful and feel so close. But then the unthinkable happens, and we are left wondering what on earth happened to God. The pain is eviscerating and deep. The loss can feel unbearable. 
I had the world's best dad. He always sat in the front of every church, regardless of where he was, any classroom, any lecture. So he would sit right there when he came here to church. In April, I ate Afghan food and chocolate cake with him on his porch in San Antonio for his 80th birthday. I watched as he joked with his grandkids, held my daughters on his lap, and read them a book for the last time. We did not realize that that would be the last birthday with him, the last time we had an opportunity for family pictures. Within three weeks, he was dead of a massive stroke. Life can be really wonderful, and life can be really devastating. And sometimes it feels that in the midst of it all, Jesus shows up four days late. Unlike Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, my dad was not raised from the dead. He's gone. Ashes where his energetic limbs were, memories of what his laugh sounded like, his corny jokes, gone. It's easy to stop here and to allow the hounds of grief to take us down and to lose our hope. With all of the terrible mess of violence and hatred and racism in this past week, it is really tempting to sit down and weep and grieve and become hopeless. And there's nothing wrong with grief. Jesus showed us a beautiful example of empathy and grief when he cried with the rest of the grieving at Lazarus' death. Grief is healthy, and it's the appropriate underbelly of love and relationship in this world. Jesus showed us that. But the gospel promise is that Jesus, even as he grieved, turned hopelessness on its head. He looked death dead in the eye and turned awake into the surprise party of life. And Lazarus' resurrection was just a teaser. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like, gee, thanks, God, because, you know, Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends, and he had to die twice. <laughs> Because he did die again one day, right? But it was just the opening act. The main event is the promise and inspiration of Christian discipleship and All Saints Day, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The reason which grieving folk like myself can cling to hope even as the tears fall. Death is no match for God. Today we celebrated and baptized three sweet, fierce young women. And we proclaimed over them the promise of God, that God loves them more than we can imagine, more than we do. That God is with them, already been with them since the first moment of their existence. And that God will be with them through everything that they pass through, even when they come to die, and that they are not ever, ever, ever going to be alone. In a few minutes, my family and two other families will gather at the cross here to remember those we have lost in this past year. There will be tears and pain. 
We stand in this balance today, church, on All Saints Day, between the cradle and the grave, and we relentlessly cling to hope because of the one who wept at his friend's grave and then rose him up as a preamble to his own resurrection, where he obliterated hopelessness and fear forever. We proclaim over these children, whom we would gladly die if it would save them from harm, that God's work and love and grace means something for them as they walk in the world and into the eternal arms of God. It means something to us who grieve. And it means something to each of us as we sit in this place with our own challenges, whether we're on the mountaintop or the valley of the shadow, that that hope speaks to us today. We stand in the balance between that grief and that immense joy. And we are saints. Between the resurrection of Christ and the day when the promise from our Isaiah and Revelation text comes to pass, we are saints. So what saints will we do about it? We have this hope to proclaim. Some of us through tears, others through laughter. What do we do in the meantime to proclaim the goodness of God? To live into the hope of the resurrection? To follow Jesus? How do we infuse these children and allow ourselves to be infused with this grace, with this power, with this hope? It will take, I believe, great courage. And I have to apologize to you all because last week I jokingly said that you would not be the crew I would choose for a rumble. I meant a West Side Story kind of rumble with switchblades and went on to say that you really are the perfect crew to love the world. But many of you on your way out and after coffee and, and during coffee hour downstairs corrected me and reminded me that you are actually pretty amazing in rumbles too, if it comes to that. So I guess I'll take you up on that, because it's going to take every ounce of courage, rebellion, rumble, passion, energy, and moxie that we have to stand up against the hopelessness, apathy, hatred, and bigotry of the world. So church, are you ready to rumble? <laughs> Our God authored life. Our God brings life out of everything, even death. Our God has set us free and filled us with unending supplies of grace and love, so it's time to live like it. And that, my beautiful siblings in Christ, will always cause a rumble. A beautiful, holy rumble. To raise these girls that we just baptized to know that they can change the world in God's love and to give them the authority to stand up to evil will cause a rumble, and it will take courage. The stone that rolled away and set Lazarus free rumbled the earth, allowing life to spring forth where there was death. We have this beautiful, amazing life between the cradle and the grave, and an opportunity to live in resurrection hope and power. We must embrace it. We must connect to the source 
We must pray. We must gather together and worship. We must be nourished at the table. We must forgive each other. We need to say we're sorry. We must stand up against evil. We have to trust God. We get to create, to sing, to laugh, to help people, to never stop growing and changing, to wage joy and peace, to speak hope, hanging in that balance, always in the resurrection hope of Jesus. Saints, it's time to rumble. Amen. Please stand and we'll sing together hymn number 427.